The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to take a few weeks at the start of this new fiscal year and ministry year to preach about what we are about as a church, our mission as a church, and also where we'd like to go in terms of an emphasis, not something new, but a renewed emphasis. So today, we're thinking about, looking at from God's Word, our disciple-making mission. Our disciple-making mission. Let's pray, and Alan's going to read our passage for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this time. We ask you, Spirit of God, to open the eyes of our hearts to behold wondrous things out of your word, wondrous things out of your instruction. Even now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw them, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Alan? These are Jesus' parting words on earth as he is about to ascend back to heaven. Parting words are significant, aren't they? Parting words carry weight in a unique way. Well, here in these parting words, he promises that all authority is his. He promises that he is with us to the end of the age. And then he provides a mission. Look at verse 19 again. He says, go therefore and make disciples, followers of his, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The main verb there is just one word, actually, in the original language, disciple. And there are three participles attached to that one main verb, going, baptizing, and teaching. This helps me how I think about this. A wooden translation would be going, disciple, baptizing, and teaching. That's sort of the wooden translation. Going, make new disciples, and then you're forming them, baptizing them, and teaching them. Now, next week, we'll talk about the forming of disciples, the growing of current disciples next week. Today, I just want to focus on the going part of that mission, the going part. Going involves telling people good news. Good news from 
Two people, rather, from among the nations and right here in this nation. But that's not always easy, is it? For some people, going and sharing the gospel seems to come quite naturally. But for most of us, maybe not so much. For most of us, going to make disciples can fill us with a sense of dread. Can you relate? Maybe you're feeling that right now. I didn't know he was going to talk about the going part. (laughs) Could have stayed in bed. (laughs) I relate to that. I understand that. My wife seems to tell people about Jesus naturally. For me, I freeze up in fear. I'm terrified. I don't know what to say. So I want to just meditate on that reality with you a little bit. I wanted to ask with you, Instead of just saying, go, therefore, go, get out there and go. Why aren't you going? I wanted to think with you, what realities behind this command could help us do this command? What realities implied here could help us be going and making new disciples? What are the implications here that could possibly help propel us forward in this great outward mission? Well, I think there are two. Two implications. The first is, and we made some slides here just to help because it's kind of a topical sermon. The first would be God's heart. The heart of the sender. I messed up and didn't change the slides. I sent to Lindsay. (laughs) Sorry, Lindsay. First, the heart of the sender. The heart of the sender. God's heart. Behind this command to go stands one who sends. And this mission really reveals his heart for those who are lost, those who are far from him. A heart God has always had for those who are far from him. From Eden and the promise of a redeemer in Genesis 3 to the call of Abraham and God's promise to bring blessing to all nations of the earth in Genesis 12 and then the forming of ancient Israel as a means of that blessing, we see God's heart throughout the Old Testament. The mission for Israel was for the nations to come and see God's glory and God's splendor. Like when the queen of Sheba travels in King Solomon's reign. She's not an Israelite. She's from those nations out there. And she travels up to ancient Israel and she beholds God's wisdom and splendor that he had given to Israel and her king. And what does she say? She says, blessed be the Lord your God. That's the mission to the nations in the Old Testament. It's come and see. Which is why, by the way, which is why you find Jesus in the temple Flipping over the tables of the money changers. Not because of what they were doing in the temple. But where? In the part of the temple called the court of the Gentiles. Where people from the nations could come. 
and worship God in truth. And now it was a flea market and farmer's market and all kinds of things. And so the blessing to the nations came. He lived, he died, he rose, ransoming people for God from every tribe and language, and people, and nation. Revelation 5. And in doing so, Jesus explains God's heart to us as we turn to the, old, uh, the New Testament. As we turn to the New Testament, Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh, unpacks God's heart for us and to us. In John chapter 1, it says, Jesus has made the Father known. Literally, he exegeted the Father. He explained the Father. If you want to see what God the Father is like, look to God the Son in the flesh. Jesus explains the Father and his heart. Like in Luke 15, where we see Jesus eating, eating with despised tax collectors and Sinners, eating with maybe the prostitutes and the thieves, eating with them, thus implying a degree of care and acceptance in that culture, and the religious leaders are appalled. So Jesus tells them in Luke 15, three parables. Do you recall the parable of the lost sheep? A wandering sheep that is pursued and the joy when it's found. The parable of the lost coin, a coin that is lost and then pursued. And the joy when it's found, the parable of a lost son or two sons. But the lost son who repents and the joy when he's welcomed home. Jesus is there explaining his dinner companions and explaining the father's heart. Like in Matthew 9, Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. I just love that word. Compassion. He's moved. He has compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Friends, that's why we have this mission to go in Matthew 28. Because of that heart in God for those around us. And so we must share that heart. That heart of compassion, pity, you might say, mercy. Mercy for those who are lost, far from God, hopeless and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Friends, let's just pray. Would you pray with me for this? Let's just pray for more and more of that heart. I want, I want more of God's heart in me for those around me all day, every day. I want God's heart of compassion, his heart of love, his heart of pity and mercy. Let's pray for that. One thing we, we hope to do this coming ministry year is have maybe once a month, a little prayer walk, a Saturday morning prayer walk right here in La Mesa for those who are able, those who are available, just to get out together in our community, right? In our community and pray and ask God to move on people all around us. That'll be good for me. I know that to grow my heart. 
we're asking you, just encouraging you again, have a, a one life, as it were, one person, one person for whom you can pray and, and reach out to as God enables you. This command of going to disciple, it implies the heart of the sender, God's heart. But then with the coming of Christ, the, the mission direction, as it were, changes from come and see to in Matthew 28, go and tell. And so secondly, there's an implication about us, about you and me. The second implication is the identity of the sent. The identity of the sent. First, the heart of the sender, and then the identity of the sent. The mission in Matthew 28 says something about us and who we are in Jesus. In, in Luke's gospel, you, you, you pick this up. Luke tells us a scene right before what Matthew tells us in Matthew 28. In Luke 24, we get the scene of Jesus' resurrection appearance just prior to his ascension. In Luke 24, we see the following. Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Wouldn't you have liked to have been a part of that Bible study? Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written from the old, our Old Testament that the Christ should suffer, the Messiah should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance or forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, notice, to all nations, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Then he says, verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. That, that's a noun. That's an identity. He's saying you are eyewitnesses of these realities someone called to testify out of that identity. Now, I grant we are not eyewitnesses ourselves of Jesus' earthly ministry. I grant that, but, but have we not come to know the truth about Jesus ourselves? Have we not come to experience the, the love and mercy of Jesus like that ourselves? I would submit that this identity of witnesses can be applied to us as well to testify to his grace. Or consider the identities in Matthew 5, the identities of salt and light. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you are the salt, the salt of the earth. This metaphor of salt. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Jesus says his people are like salt, a preservative, an important preservative in that day, and a seasoning. But he's saying it must remain salty. It must be distinct and yet not separate. That's important to keep in mind. Salt is to be distinct, salty, as it were, but not separate. It's no use if it stays in the salt shaker. So there's an identity 
this metaphor of salt. And he goes on. Next verse. He says, you are the light. The light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, he says, applying the metaphor to his people. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works, your life, your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now Jesus' people are light. Put on a stand to shine, friends, to shine into the darkness with our very lives that others would glorify the Father. And I think we'd agree the Sermon on the Mount applies to us as well. I don't think that's controversial. So let's think about this in our own lives. We are salt in God's eyes, right where he's placed us. A preservative, a seasoning. And light, light to shine into the darkness in La Mesa, El Cajon, San Diego, Lakeside. This is why, this is why in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go. Go. You're witnesses. You're my salt. You're my light. That's why he says, go. But think about one more identity. I think this is a very powerful one. The identity of ambassador. One who represents another. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And then says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the good news. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Notice, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And here's the identity. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now we should ask, does that identity of ambassador only apply to the Apostle Paul and his associates? Is being an ambassador of Jesus only an apostolic thing? Well, certainly it's an apostolic thing in unique ways. However, we do bear that message of reconciliation today, do we not? Has not that message of reconciliation been entrusted to us as well? Can we not apply this identity to our lives also and say, of you and I, we're ambassadors for Jesus. We represent the King of Kings. God says we are witnesses, we are salt, light, ambassadors for Jesus. This is why, this is why we're told, told to go. Think about it by way of, I guess, illustration or contrast. What's a, what's a popular alternative identity 
that Christians are taking on today as they relate to this world? I would submit a big one could be summarized as culture warrior. Culture warrior. Some are saying we should disciple nations, not just people from nations. So put Jesus into the Constitution, make the U.S. a Christian nation. Some say we must take the seven mountains of culture to pull the levers of influence in culture. Some say we must go and fight because the people out there are your enemy. Friends, Christian leaders are saying those things, and I know that they mean well, okay? I know that they love God and they love his word, and I know they mean well. But they're assigning you an identity, and it's not witness. It's not salt. It's not light. It's not ambassador. I'm not denying that God portrays himself as a warrior in Scripture. I'm not denying that Jesus in the book of Revelation is returning on a war horse. I'm not denying those things. I'm not denying that the New Testament says we are to fight the good fight of the faith, taking hold of eternal life. But if you view your identity as mainly culture warrior, fighting those people out there. You will go to them, but not to make disciples, not to bring good news out of the heart of God. Contrast that with the identity described by a pastor named John Kleining. He writes the following. Some years ago, I was on a flight when a talkative man took the seat next to me. Don't you hate that? A talkative man took the seat next to me. He asked me what I did for a living. He says, this is a tricky question for me. In most cases, the conversation ends with uneasy embarrassment when they find out I'm a pastor. So rather mischievously, I told him I was a secret agent. <laughs> as soon as he heard that, he took renewed interest in me. For the rest of the flight, he plied me with questions, all of which I answered truthfully, apart from one. I refused to tell him for whom I worked. He writes, since that day, the notion of Christians as secret agents has remained with me. We are, listen, friends, we are in every way citizens of this world with earthly homes and earthly jobs and earthly identities. We lead the same ordinary lives with the same ordinary interests, doing similar ordinary work as the people around us. Yet, yet, at the same time, we are citizens of heaven. Ordinary people, ordinary lives, at the same time, unbeknownst to those around us, we are citizens of heaven.
Extraordinary people, he writes. Aliens here, working to promote God's gracious rule on earth. He concludes, behind the front of our ordinary lives, we work as secret agents of the heavenly king. We don't work as secret enemies of humanity. Did you catch that? We don't work as secret enemies of humanity, but as its unnoticed benefactors, salt, light, ambassadors, witnesses. We all have a secret identity as sons and daughters of God the Father, a secret holy vocation as members of his royal priesthood. I submit to you that is a biblical identity. Not hidden Christians, don't misunderstand, not hidden Christians, but people living for a presently hidden kingdom. People living ordinary lives, yet citizens of heaven, living for our heavenly king, who is reigning with all authority and is with us, calling us to promote his gracious rule on earth. So, friends, brothers and sisters, for us to be going, for us to be going and making disciples, we must have a conviction about how God sees us and what God calls us, the identity he assigns to us in his word. You're my witnesses. You're salt. You're light. You're an ambassador that others may glorify him. Now, we have different gifts. I think that will look like different things for different people. But at a minimum, doesn't it mean that we seek to show the heart of God as the people of God with these identities? Isn't that where this starts? Show the heart of God, compassion as the people of God. The people around you are not your enemies. Listen, they, they might be presently opposed to God as we were. They might oppose you, but they're not your enemies. Even if they live differently, believe differently, or vote differently, or you fill in the blank differently, let us show the heart of God in love, in mercy, and compassion. And let us do so as the people of God, as witnesses, as salt, as light, as ambassadors for Jesus. One way we want to do this more and more is, is as a community, as a community together, with our different gifts complementing each other. So last Easter, this was uh, Steve Farrington's good idea. Last Easter, we opened up more homes, right? A number of your homes. For you, if you wanted to, to invite some friends over at Easter and, 
and just behold something of the life and love of God in our midst. And so we did that at our house. We opened up our home. Uh, various people came. Seasons came. Uh, the Arthur family came. Anyone else that I'm forgetting? I'm sorry. I'm getting older. And I, I invited a, a couple that I often uh, work out with, and they're from Spain. And we didn't arrange this, but my friends from Spain sat right next to Dan Arthur, who, unbeknownst to me, used to live in Spain. And so immediately there's this connection, and Dan is just graciously drawing them out, drawing them out, and my friends just talked and talked and talked about Spain. You know why? Because they felt such care and love from the Arthur family. They were so blessed by the Arthur family, they just loved talking and talking and talking and talking. And I think a platform was furthered that I might go and tell them, you know, you know what's different about those Arthurs? Yeah, they know Jesus. And there's good news for you and me. We just want to do that more and more. Show the heart of God as the people of God. Because this mission is hard for me. And if it's hard for you, you got good company. But let us see God's heart, brothers and sisters. God's heart. Let us see who we are in his son. That God might use us all the more. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.